Kia I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail... Poisonous gas is spewing from Mount Ruapehu as the unpredictable activity continues. The first pictures from the crater of Mount Ruapehu show the latest spectacle nature is putting on. The threat of another eruption has begun turning skiers away, and although volcanologists say there's no danger to them... The possibility of further eruption has skiers shunning the best snow of the season. It's survived eruptions, storms, warm winters and a pandemic. But can the company running Mount Ruapehu ski fields live through another kind of upheaval? They're afraid that the whole thing will go under. One of the best things that um, one of the guys said to me was, we don't want another waiwera. The locals that I have talked to are kind of shrugging their shoulders and saying, well, what are they trying to do? They don't, they don't really get it. Today, the Stauschover moves to overturn the company's structure and bring in outside investors for the first time. How good is this? It's good! I can do that. This is Mount Ruapehu, a place for whānau and another hot chocolate. This is how we winter. So the company, Ruapehu Alpine Lifts, has a concession through the Department of Conservation to run Tūroa and Whakapapa ski fields. RAL itself has an unusual ownership model. You could say it's the classic model of mum and dad investors. Here's Newsroom's business editor, Nikki Mando. It's a company that was established in 1953. So at that time on the mountain, you know, there were people who really wanted to ski, but they skied in clubs and each club might have a rope tow, but, you know, they operated themselves and maybe there wasn't somebody to operate the rope toe. So you'd go along to ski and you'd go up the first rope toe, but then you couldn't get up the second one because that club wasn't operating that weekend. It was a bit sort of chaotic up the mountain before then, these little, little clubs doing their own thing. So they all got together and went, right, we really want a better skiing environment. We want proper lifts and we want maybe a cafe and some toilets and stuff. Let's all get together. So they formed this basically a company but it's a not-for-profit company and it's the shareholders don't get any return. There are four classes of shares, I think. Some of them are $1 and some of them are $20. But if you bought a $1 share, you sell it for $1. So you don't make any money. There are no dividends, nothing like that, because any money they make goes back into facilities at the ski field. Since 1953, so when the original investment went in, mostly to raise money since then has been by selling... Um, life passes so every so often they want to do put another lift in or a snow machine or at one stage they wanted to buy Turoa um, because that was failed and they wanted to buy that as well and you say right guys who wants to buy a life pass for the mountain and people put thousand bucks in or a couple of thousand bucks in or ten thousand bucks in and they've raised significant sums of money you know 14 million 4 million 7 million you know reasonably significant sums to upgrade facilities and buy Tordor and that sort of thing. All of them were skiers. There would be no reason to get involved if you didn't love skiing because you're not making any money out of it. Yeah. It's not like buying Fletcher Building or, you know, Zero where you get a dividend and all that stuff. You'd, you'd have to love skiing to bother. Or you could be the child of, you know, if your grandparents bought in 53, you know, you might have inherited those shares and what happens is the only way they turn over so some people don't want their shares anymore and they kind of go to RAL and say we don't want our shares and they kind of put them they kind of they have a a waiting list of people that want to buy shares and when they come up somebody dies or whatever it is they you might be able to buy some shares. 
So that's been ticking along for, what, half a century or so? Since 53, so right. 70 years. Skiing Ruapehu always comes with that added risk of an eruption. But that chance to ski on a live volcano brings people from around the world. It's hopeless! Every orc in Mordor's going to hear this rocket! The mountain also attracts Lord of the Rings fans. Let's just tie him up and leave him. No! That would kill us! Kill us! Keen to walk in the footsteps of Frodo and Sam and Gollum. But now that I see him, I do pity him. And now there's a $25 million project at Whakapapa that opened in 2019. We're really excited today to uh, be showcasing our Skywalker gondola, as you can see behind us. This is a significant tourism infrastructure project for our region. They wanted to have something which operated in the summer. So at the moment, you know, you've got... Operating a ski field is sort of three months of the year. So you're trying to make all the money for the year in three months. So they went, well, what do we do? We'll build a gondola so that people can go up in the summer. Yes, that's right. Of course, they built it, and then we had COVID. So that's been... They've got quite a lot of debt from that. Some of it, quite a lot of it, they borrowed from local, the Ruapehu District Council or tourism bonds. And so quite a lot of the funding is not bank funding, but they do have quite a big debt with the ANZ Bank, and that's been one of their problems. They've said, look, the ANZ Bank is putting pressure on us to repay the loan, Mm -hmm. and... The ANZ Bank is worried that under the present structure where nobody can make any money, we're not going to get our money back. So it's difficult to know how much they're using that as an excuse, but they've definitely said that the money they've got from MB and the money they borrowed from the bank is now contingent on them being able to change the corporate structure so that they can get equity investors, so they can get proper outside people to put money into it. When you say the money they got from MB, is this the Provincial Growth Fund grant? They've got some Provincial Growth Fund money, but I think they got some emergency money as well, some COVID emergency money. You know at that time when lots of tourism businesses got COVID emergency money? They got, I think, $5 million. From that. And when you say they, you know, they say that we need this, who are you talking about here? So it's a proper company in that way. So they have a board and they have, um, you know, a CEO and a chair and, and, and directors. So some of them are quite corporate. You know, there's a, there's a guy in there who runs a fund management company. There's a kind of interesting bit in the middle of that. So there's, a, there's an RAL trust now, at some stage, there were all these shareholders and nobody knew who was who. And, you know, so at one stage they went, right, we're going to put a lot of the shareholders into a trust. And it's run by four trustees who are, again, crazy skiers mm. who really um, want everything to remain as it is. So basically the whole point of this trust is for nothing to change. They're not allowed to sell under the constitution of the of the trust. They're not allowed to sell to outside people. They're not allowed to make a profit. They're not allowed to give a dividend. And that's basically to protect the ski fields from um, the whole thing that they're trying to do now. And that's why they need a new corporate structure, because under the constitution of the company, they are not allowed to do what they want to do now. So what they're proposing now is to restructure it so that they can bring in 
outside investors. Yes, that's right. And what's wrong with that? I mean, surely that's a good thing, isn't it? That means that they can pay off these big loans, they can, the, the bank will get off their back. The, the trouble that the people that I talk to say is that at the moment they don't have to give any money to anyone. There's no dividend. So everything that they get goes back into the company. If you've got outside investors, they're going to want a return. So before you start reinvesting in your ski lifts and your snow machines and your cafes, you have to pay the dividend to the investors. And they say they don't think there'll be a lot left for keeping up the ski field and making it a great place to ski. But it works in the South Island. I mean, it's actually for-profit companies that run South Island ski fields. And in Europe and in Canada, and you're absolutely right. One of the things that they tell me, this is um, the people that I've spoken to who are against the proposal, they say there are three things about Ruapehu. It's volcanic, so from time to time, 2012, the volcano erupts. Oh, sorry about that, no ski season. Um, There's a geological thing with icing and all the um, lifts get iced up. And again, you lose a lot more days in Ruapehu than you do in the South Island, say, or in, I think, Whistler. Mm. And the third thing, it's frigging miles from anywhere. Even the South Island ski fields are quite close to Queenstown. They're not that far from Christchurch, from Wanaka. Whereas, you know, to get to the ski fields from Auckland, from Wellington, it's just quite a trek. Yeah, several hours. Yes, that's Mm. right. It's not as profitable as some of the other ski fields. Who would actually buy into it? That's a really interesting, super interesting question. So they said that they went to had this global search to look for an investor and they haven't found one. So what they're saying is, well, the reason we haven't found one is because nobody wants to buy into a company where you can't make a profit under the Constitution. So they're saying what we need to do is change the structure. We're going to create this new entity and we're going to put all the assets of the company into this new entity. And they're calling it the new entity. Um, And then the investors will want to come in. But what the people against it are saying are, well, maybe that new investor will be fabulous and community-minded and will like them. But until we know who they are and until we know what the terms that they are going to be coming and investing in are, we don't want a new structure. We don't want to give you carte blanche with your new entity to bring in whoever you like. So come to us with an investor, with some terms and conditions that that investor wants, and we'll talk about it. Um, They were meant to be voting on it last Friday, but they had absolutely no details. They had no financials from the last year. They had no idea about what the investor would be. They had no idea um, what any terms and conditions, what the new entity was going to be looking like. And they're saying, well, you're asking us to, to vote on creating a shell company, which you can then do whatever you like with. And they don't like that. No. So instead of there being a vote last Friday, it was more like an information day. So they did come out with some charts. There were quite a few charts, but there was no... The latest financial year for the company finished on 30th of November. So there is no latest financial information. And the some of the protesters have come up with some really quite... They're sort of accountants and, um, you know, people with financial nows. And they looked really carefully into the 2020 annual report and financial statements and they don't agree 
that the company is in such a bad financial situation as the company says it is. They say, look, there's a completely different reading of these. We think that in some ways the company's doing better than it used to do. And let's wait and see what the 2021 numbers show, and then we'll have a better idea. But nobody knows when the 2021 numbers will come out because you know, it can take months between the end of the financial year and getting the financial statements. Mm. And they are now being asked to vote. So it's not gone away. All they've done is postpone it until the May, their next annual general meeting is in May. And they say, right, well, we'll have the vote in May. We'll talk to you all in February. We'll do um, face-to-face meetings and stuff once we can. And then we'll vote in May. But nobody knows whether those quite significant financial figures will be available at that stage. Why should we care about this? Because people might go, well, so what? It's a bunch of rich skiers. They can sort it out for themselves. I think some of them will be like that. But one of the women that I spoke to, she loved skiing so much that she stopped her life wherever she was living, and now she lives in, in the area. You know, she's a local who can ski whenever she can. So there are a lot of locals involved. There are still a lot of clubs, something like 50 clubs or something that still ski on the mountain. And there'll be students, there'll be people that don't have heaps of money. Just one one sort of figure. So there was a Facebook group of people that were against the proposal. And three months ago, there were eight people on their Facebook group. And since this proposal, they have more than 400 people on their Facebook group. So, I mean, it's not enormous, but It's people that really care about skiing. So the vote to change RAL's constitution to allow outside corporate investors is on hold until May. But beyond the passionate skiers who are the shareholders, just how significant is this move? Well, I called Robert Milne, the editor of Ruapehu Bulletin, a weekly publication based in Ohakuni. It's a 20-minute drive from Tūroa and it has seen huge benefits from the ski boom. In 1989, when you bought it, took over it, what were the the big stories of the day? Probably bad snow years and how the ski area was going to survive rising snow lines and things like that. That's as far as the mountain goes. I mean, there's always the the pulp mill farming, you know, all, all the other industries that are around. What kind of town was Ohakuni back then? It was already a ski town. Turo had been running 10 years by then. There was the pub and a couple of restaurants. It's quite amazing looking back. I think it's a really cool little town because it is it is small, but there's quite a diverse population. You know, you've got the farming community. They've been there generations. There's quite a strong iwi. They've got their uh, treaty settlement, so they're getting a lot stronger. You've got the pulp mill, which opened the same year that Turo did, actually. And then you've got the, the tourism and market gardening, obviously, which is huge, hence the carrot. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which some locals still hate. <laughs> <laughs> so how do the locals feel about the ski fields? <laughs> Sorry, my wife just <laughs> having a comment. Oh. Um, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people who work on the ski field or have worked on the ski field. There's a definite um, connection with Oakuni and Tura. Probably less so with Whakapapa, it's just a little bit further away. Marie, Marie just said that they people really care about the mountain, about the ski fields. As far as Ariola Company goes, they have opinions about how it's run. Everyone's an expert in how to run a ski field. 
in the past, some staff or some management at REL have been a little bit resentful of that, but it's because they care. They want to see the ski field do well, sometimes because of business, but often because they ski. You never know what you're going to get there, do you? That's for a start. You never know what the weather's going to be That's one of the joys like. of Rupeo, isn't it? <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> and if you get up there and it's a beautiful day and you're at the top of the mountain, it is something so special. But there are a lot of frustrations also to going oh, skiing yep. there. From your experience, how did it get to the situation that we're in now? Um as far as Turo goes, I think it's it's always been in development. It always seems that there's an issue that they're trying to solve. Access to the ski field up the road has always been an issue. And I think that's partly because it's such a weekend market. Everybody wants to go and ski on the weekend. Ever since I can remember, there's been debate about we need a new chairlift. We need snowmaking. We've had bad snow years. That has less of an impact now that they've got much better snowmaking and snow management. We've had the eruptions. That was pretty bad for a few years. But long term, I think the bad snow years were worse. I mean, there must have been some years where people thought this will be the last year. Or did you always feel that it would reopen because so much is invested in it? Yes, I think so. I just don't see it failing. I mean, the ownership might change. Well, it has back when AHI and then Tura Holdings had it. I think they had struggles, but it was open under receivership at one stage. You know, I I think people always think that it will be there. (laughs) Do locals have an opinion on these latest developments? Absolutely. The locals have an opinion about everything to do. (laughs) (laughs) The opinion is probably a bit confused, including me. I, I don't really understand what they're proposing. The locals that I have talked to are kind of shrugging their shoulders and saying, well, what are they trying to do? They don't, they don't really get it. Most locals like the model that Ariel returns all its profits to the ski fields. There are a few that um, think that it should be, should be much more of a commercial model and have commercial investors. What if they just carry on as they've been doing it for the last 70 years? I suppose there is the risk that it might go under anyway, but the feeling from one of the main guys I spoke to, his grandparents were one of the original 1953 um, investors. They loved skiing, they brought some shares, their friends bought shares, and then they bought life passes for their kids. And... Their kids bought life passes for their kids. Some of the people that buy life passes for their kids are buying them for their unborn kids. You know, it's just, they're just really enthusiastic. They need to sort out the bank, but they're saying there are other options. Let's sort out the bank loan. Let's maybe raise some money through a, a life pass sale, pay the bank back or get the bank debt to a stage where... It's not a problem. Mm. And then let's think about what the other options are. So are they afraid, the people who are against it, the people who hold, I guess, shares in RAL, the skiers, are they afraid that by uh, having an outside investor come in, they might lose control over the way it's all run? Worse than that, they're afraid that the whole thing will go under. One of the best things that, Um, one of the guys said to me was, we don't want another Waiwera. 
and why we're at is the hot pools north of Auckland where we all went and our kids went um, slides and really fabulous um, place to go for the for, for a day with your kids and that went under there was a it was bought by a a Russian oligarch who wanted the... There were some mineral waters. Anyway, it got really corporate, and the guy didn't make any money, and he, in 2008, he said, right, we're closing for refurbishments, and it never opened, and we'll never get the slides. It'll probably open as a sort of spa resort, but we will never have a family hot pool slides complex in Waiwira any ever again. Mm. And they're worried that that will be it. You know, there won't be somewhere in the North Island to take your family to go skiing. Mm. Talking to Robert, I don't know if you've had a chance to talk to Robert Melm. You know, he said, it'll always be there. The ski fields will always be there, no matter what happens, because they've been through so much. But it seems from this that it may not be so certain. Maybe at the beginning it was just little clubs and they had little lifts, but now it's quite a big operation that the running big lifts and cafes and snow machines is more expensive than it ever used to be. So if the company got into real trouble because and it was having to pay its share, it was paying its investors and uh, dividends and the investors went, hey, we want our money out and there could be a lot of damage to the financial financials of the company from these investors wanting to pull their money out yeah. and it could go under. Right. I'm not saying it will, but it, no. there is definitely the the possibility because that's what happens with companies they go bust and then you sell the assets and and who knows maybe they sell the assets to somebody else who wants to ski i think the area's got a pretty good future from all 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 sorts of sides but one of them is is skiing and ironically that i think with global warming i think rupee is in a good position it's high enough that it will lose low down slopes but it's high enough that it will actually survive there's some of the south island fields are going to really struggle i think and I think um, the Iwi settlement will change things and hopefully it will change things for the better. I think it'll be much more of a local interest. Yeah. That's, that's just my feeling. I have got no, no evidence. <laughs> <laughs> Except that you have been writing about it for more than 30 years. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded by NZ On Air and is a joint newsroom RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced this episode and Jeremy Ansell engineered it. And thanks to Nikki Mando and Robert Milne. Kakite. Ka